0: Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. On today's podcast, we will be talking to my friend, Jacob Rutledge, about Christian nationalism. Okay, well, I am I am here with my friend Jacob Rutledge. Jacob, thank you so much for for taking time to to be part of this conversation, brother.
1: Yeah, happy to be here, Wes.
0: I I, I guess maybe I'll set it up this way. I've been thinking about how how to sort of set up our conversation here, um, but but we're talking about Christian nationalism, and and I, I I'm just going to kind of walk through how I became familiar with this term and even started using this term and then how it's kind of changed and sort of evolved uh, over the last couple of years. So initially for me, uh, when I, maybe two years ago or so, this term really started to be discussed and, and people were talking about it. But typically in my experience, it was talked about as sort of a um, a critical identifier uh, as if it's something that an outsider would use, uh, not necessarily something that a person would self-identify with, uh, but but something that, that outsiders would use to say, hey, we see this ideology, we disagree with this ideology, here are some problems with it that they would be pointing out, and would use the term Christian nationalism as a, a critical or pejorative type of a term, sort of the way we would use the term legalist or or legalism. Very few people would identify with a term like that. It's typically used by an outsider. And so that was typically the way that this term was discussed. In fact, there was a lot of pushback that I heard that when people would say Christian nationalism, other people would say, well, that doesn't really exist, or that's not really a thing, or it's just kind of a boogeyman. And there was a, a little bit of pushback that direction. And then, then over time, there, there seemed to be more people that identified with the term itself, and which kind of surprised me because it... The discussion started with it sort of being a critical or pejorative term, and then people would say, "Actually, I think I am a Christian nationalist, and I don't think that's such a bad thing. I think that's actually a good thing." And so there was more identification with it, and then here recently, more and more identification with that term, um, and so much so that there's a book that I'm—I have to admit—at the outset, I wish that I had finished reading it before this conversation, but uh, a book by Stephen Wolfe that is in defense of Christian nationalism specifically, and so. I I I've been tweeting about it. That's how our conversation got started. Um, as I've been reading this book, I've been tweeting some of my thoughts about it. And so I I tweeted this week a few things, and and then Jacob, you you uh, gave some feedback on some of the things that I tweeted. And I I thought, man, just as as a as a model for I think how we ought to handle these kinds of things. I thought let's let's have a phone call, and we'll let other people. Not only will this be good for you and I to discuss what do I mean by Christian nationalism? What do you mean by that? What do other people mean by that? Let's sort of define our terms and then model for other people what it might look like for if you're maybe disagreeing online to sort of take it take it off of social media and then have a conversation and sort of work out, what are we talking about here? So that's kind of the way this conversation came about. So so what are your thoughts there on, on all of that, Jacob?
1: Yeah. I Well, first of all, I think that's a good Way that you went about describing how the term has kind of come to to prominence and how it kind of initially came from a more pejorative outsider, you know, uh, assigned terminology. I, I think that's a good way to assess it. And then more and more people begin to question, okay, well, what 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 is really meant by this? You know, what do we mean by this? Um, is there some truth to this? And you know, so it's it's been interesting to see how it's evolved because really, prior to a few years ago, I didn't hear the terminology used. And and I kind of of honestly dismissed it uh, because I really didn't associate myself so much with that. And then I began to see some more discussions about it and kind of think, well, some of that reflects my thinking. Some of it doesn't reflect my thinking. And then, you know, progressing through, okay, what do I believe? My political ideology has changed over the years. And, um, how I've evaluated things from a Christian worldview. And so, um, you know, I, I recently I just finished out a series that I did here um, at Dripping Springs called, I just titled it, you know, The Christian in Politics. Uh, I didn't feel like I needed any clever title <laughs> about it because that's what people were wondering about. And, and I admitted to the church, you know, I said, listen, my, my thinking on this has changed over the years. Um, you know, I've gone from not wanting to be at, involved at all politically to being far too involved politically and not being involved from a Christian, uh, framework. Um, and mm-hmm. so you, you have a lot of different opinions on what the terminology, what the philosophy is, but sometimes, and this is why I think it's important from, for us to go from the online platform to having a discussion is that I do think sometimes we're talking past each other on certain things yeah. online. It's, it's much easier to talk past each other online. Um, and uh, it, it you kind of have to go, you have to have like a lot, and you and I did some of this, you have to have kind of a back and forth a lot more to figure out, okay, what exactly are you saying? Whereas I feel like it's a lot easier to do that, just talking to each other and working it out and brainstorming. And and hopefully um, people can see that we can have these discussions in a, in a brotherly way um, and have disagreements in a brotherly way. But also I think that these types of discussions can help us to um, articulate our own beliefs a little bit better. So I think that's important as well. You know, even if we walk away, okay, we don't necessarily agree, but okay. I now know that I need to articulate this a little bit better. The next time I talk to somebody, understand Mm -hmm. where they're coming from, where I'm coming from. So that maybe the next time I have the discussion, I can get this out on the table. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) You know, I know this might be what you think I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really, really well put. And, and I think that, and, and as we sort of disagreed a little bit online, I thought, you know, my relationship with you is too valuable to, to to end up talking past each other, and and I hope that I hope that even if nothing else comes out of this conversation for other people, I hope that this is an encouragement to people that when they're having a social media conversation with anybody, but especially somebody that they love and 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 that they know that that these relationships are too important to to allow a, a misunderstanding or talking past each other or using terms in different ways for that that to spoil a relationship. So, you know, if if it becomes tense, if it becomes heated at all, you know. Pause the social media because Twitter is a really bad place to have a productive type of a back and forth conversation, and and just say, hey, let me holler at you, let me call you, and 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 talk about it in person or talk about it on the phone, and and I think that's a lot better. So if nothing else comes of this, I, I hope that people uh, can see the the value in doing something like that. But let's let's sure. get real specific with with what. What we mean by you sort of gave a definition on Twitter. I don't know if you want to mm-hmm. uh, reiterate that or or expound on that. But how would you define Christian nationalism, or wh- what do you think is a a good definition yeah. or or a definition well, you might it,
1: use? Yeah, I, I I think man, there's a whole lot of ways that we could start with this. But even the terminology Christian nationalism, I I don't necessarily have an issue with that. But again, I'm I'm thinking of it in a different way than some people think of it. In my mind. Um, the Christian part of that phrase determines the entire phrase, whereas in other people's minds, the the nationalism part uh, impacts the phrase more so than the Christian part. Um, I guess if I had a way to, this might be a longer definition than you want, but I think for me, the question is, okay, what what do we mean by nationalism? And what I mean by nationalism is that essentially it's a philosophy of government that, that, Um, cultures, that countries, that nations have a right to kind of sovereignly self-rule themselves and to pursue their interest um, as a country. Now we can discuss, okay, when does that cross the line and how much so we can pursue self-interest? And we discussed that a little bit on Twitter. Um, And that with the nation, so I view essentially nationalism in contrast to globalism. So, you know, essentially the separation of powers within each governing nations is Safer to liberty, to freedom, to religious freedom than the consolidation of power into a single you know, government, uh, or as we would know them in the past as empires. Um, but that when those nations are able to kind of sovereignly self-rule, that Christians, when they can, when they're given the opportunity, use whatever influence or abilities or talents or whatever they have to help bring that country As much as they can under the rule of Christ. Now, I believe that, and we can talk about this more as well, that it's not the responsibility of the state to save the nation. It's the responsibility of the church. The church is what we call the steward of grace. The nation is the steward of justice. And this is something that we talked about this last week in my final lesson here at Dripping Springs was sometimes we get that confused. You know, sometimes we— Think that it is the responsibility of the state to save the nation, and sometimes we think it's the responsibility of the, the church to enforce, um, you know, justice. And we get some of those confused sometimes. But only the church, through the power of Christ, can save the soul of man. And when humanity comes into that new covenant relationship with God, they use whatever opportunities they are wh- wherever they're called in life to help submit that nation under the rule into the reign of Christ. If that if we're they're in a liberal a democracy, a, re- a republic like we are. Um, using their influence to uh, vote to influence people in positions of power to bring those laws and as much as they possibly can into submission to what would please god um, if they're in other countries that don't have those same types of liberties using the freedoms that they're given where they're able um, without of course we don't condone i don't condone or again i can't speak for all people who claim you know christian nationalism which i don't even necessarily refer to myself in that way I, like i said but i don't Necessarily have an issue with the terminology, but don't in any way speak of armed resistance. Paul says, you know, not to resist the governing authorities. We're not talking about sedition or rebellion. Um, But as I mentioned to the church, um, like Joseph, like Daniel, if God brings you into a position or to a place of influence, using faithfulness, using wisdom, uh, using, you know, worship who you are. As a means of helping to bring whatever country you're in under the submission to Christ through salvation and also within the system of law. So that's a really long explanation. I wish I had a way of, you know, no, uh, I think that's, summarizing I think that's that a little helpful. bit better.
0: I think, and I think that's helpful. And I think, I think that, and again, this this is a example of why. Taking things off of social media and talking about it because you and I agree on ninety nine percent of what you just said. I mean, I, I I disagree with very little of what you said. The only thing that I would probably take issue with is is that or not issue with, but but
1: where we can well, have an issue with that. I don't is, mind if you have issue with it.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. I think I think I think the only place where I would differ a little bit is is my my discomfort with the term nationalism um sure. and and but i but i i i understand where you're coming from in that and i think that you you said something really important there in that you are saying nationalism isn't bad in the sense that you're referring to it as something other than globalism and and so <laughs> obviously i'm not i'm not i'm also not in favor of empire building <laughs> i'm not in favor right. of, of of globalism and i think that 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 sometimes there can be sort of a false dichotomy there but then all other times that we were using a term as a contrasting term to say this as opposed right. to this but not this unqualified and so you're sort of qualifying mm-hmm. it there and and I I I appreciate that i think where where i i sort of want to lay out a definition that that i think given what you said you would disagree with stephen wolf's definition of Nationalism and how he's advocating for nationalism, and this is more of a uh, sort of a traditional uh, position of nationalism uh, that that goes beyond um, just autonomous nation states. We 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 sort of touched on this in our in our Twitter back and forth, but you and I probably recognize maybe more than the average person how difficult it is to define nation and who's a mm-hmm. part of a nation, and what do we mean by that word nation? In the New Testament, the, the Greek word is ethnos, which most of the time that, that term is translated as Gentiles. <laughs> it's, it's just the nations, all of these other people groups. There was the Jewish nation or the Jewish ethnos, and then the other ethnic groups. So when, when Stephen Wolf talks about nationalism, he he uses the word nation and the word ethnic group, interchangeably synonymously and so he advocates for uh, sort of self-ruling ethnic groups that that in fact he advocates for and says that a nation cannot be made up of more than one ethnicity and when he talks about ethnicity we tend to conflate that with race and and that's a totally different idea but ethnicity specifically refers to language cultures customs those kinds of things but when you do that, it, it's very difficult to say, well, what ethnic group am I a part of? <laughs> what what ethnic group am I? Or you know, are, is say someone who is um, a, a Mexican American or African American or German American or whatever you you name whatever eth- ethnicity a person is living in the United States? Are we all? Americans, or are we part of different ethnic groups, especially when you factor in different customs and cultures and sort of parallel uh, parallel groups, um, subgroups? And so it makes it very difficult to understand exactly what a person is advocating for when they advocate for a mono-ethnic society, a mono-ethnic, a one-ethnic nation, and that every every ethnic group should rule themselves and that there shouldn't be intermingling of ethnic groups. And again, this is very adjacent to where we've, you know, humanity has gone so very wrong with racism and ethnocentrism and tribalism and warring groups and parties that have been against one another. So, how we define nation is is a very tricky is a very tricky thing and so not only do i have some struggles with what is wolf trying to say here with or is he talking about white americans when he talks about ethnic groups ruling themselves and and being autonomous or is he talking about americans in general but specifically he means When he says Christian nationalism, he means, and this is a quote from his book, he says, to be a good member of the people, of the nation, one must be a Christian, at least outwardly, and anyone who denies Christ in word or deed is subject to social separation or other social costs. So Wolf Mm. is advocating for uh, every ethnic group that not only the same, and having similarities ethnically, culturally, linguistically, but also Christian. And if Mm. you're not Christian, then... At least outwardly, he he would say, "Well, you can't you can't legislate what a person thinks or what a person feels. You can't legislate their conscience, but you can legislate their behavior. And so, if they don't mm. at least give outward lip service to Christianity, then we kick them out of the community. that they, they have to mm. be They have to be a um, a Christian in order to be part of the nation. And if they're not a Christian, then they don't get to be part of the nation. He's an advocate for infant baptism. In fact, he even says. I don't know how you could make credo baptism a part of Christian nationalism, because in his, in his view, you, you baptize them as an infant, and then that way everybody in the, in the nation has been baptized, and then you can hold them to a Christian standard, at least outwardly a Christian standard. So he believes yeah. that in order to be part of the nation, you need to speak the same language, you need to have the same customs and culture, and everybody needs to be a Christian. Uh, and if they're not yeah. a Christian, they don't get to be part of the nation.
1: Yeah, I so man, there's a lot there. Um, I like yeah. I told you before we got on, I haven't read Wolf's book. I've been following some of his stuff, I, I haven't been too impressed with some of the things that I've seen, and mainly because my fr- no, I don't, I, I don't, like I said, I haven't read his stuff, so I can't, I can only go off of the reviews I've read from people that I um, tend to trust and who weren't too impressed with, with it, um, and some of the things that. I've um, read myself some excerpts and stuff like that. Um I I I imagine what he might say if if you were going to talk about um, you know, a, a specific ethnicity, you know, he probably wouldn't be speaking of um uh, white Americans, but some type of uh American ethnicity, like a like a German culture. You know, you would expect Germany to want to preserve German culture. Now, the difficulty is that I think as Americans, it's hard for us to conceive of that because we are multi-ethnic, right? So we're a creedal nation. That's we're very, true. we're not, we're not the same as other nations. So I think this discussion becomes increasingly more difficult when you're talking about American culture. Um, and he now, just to, now know, I and I, there for yeah, go ahead he he
0: he rejects that idea he rejects that a nation can be bl- based on on a creedal agreement he says that, that that is you can't build a nation on that so i'm not exactly sure i haven't gotten to the part of the book where he's advocating for what do we you know because like you said this this runs against the grain of the American culture because as mm-hmm. you said we are a creedal people what brings mm-hmm. us together is not a shared ethnicity what brings us together is a shared belief in in certain values
1: I think I think you know the more you're talking and maybe this isn't a fair representation but it seems like the difference between maybe the nationalism that he is promoting and the Philosophy that I would agree with. I don't know if I want to call it nationalism. Or I like, again, I don't have an issue with the term nationalism in contrast to globalism because I think that nationalism is is preferred to globalism. I think that 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 uh, hinders. Um, man consolidating power and pomp and pride within an empire building. But we also know the dangers of nationalism that can come. We've seen it with a Nazi Germany, for example, where essentially nationalism becomes, tries to become globalism, you know, where it's asserting its dominance over the other nations, um, which is how empires eventually are built. But, um, but I will say, I think maybe the difference we could, you know, to use two different historical figures, the difference maybe between what he's saying and what I'm contending for is a difference between Constantine and Charlemagne. So a lot of people dis- don't understand Constantine. He's one of the most misunderstood figures of of history, in my opinion. Um, but if you look into Constantine, you know, he's known for the Edict of Milan and um uh, allowing for the uh, the political protection of Christianity. And people look at Constantine like, oh, see, you know, Constantine forced Christianity upon, you know, these pagan groups. But if you lo- actually look at the actual history and not just watch the History Channel, that's not what Constantine did. Um, Constantine was a co-emperor with, with um, the other emperor, and the other emperor was pagan, and he agreed with the Edict of Milan because the Edict of Milan was essentially just allowing for Christianity, giving it a place within the public square. Now, Constantine created policies that were influenced by his belief in Christianity. Now, we can debate whether or not Constantine was actually you know, genuine in his Christianity, but it seemed, at least from his policies, that he was trying to do what he could to allow for Christianity to have more of a public voice within the Roman Empire. And, you know, for example, his Constantine was, I believe, I, I, I'm pretty sure about this, he was the first one, for example, that outlawed um, masters uh, having sex with their female slaves. You know, he, he put in political mm-hmm. protections uh, for female slaves, and that was solely based upon his the inf- Christian influence, okay? But he was also about... Protecting, allowing pagans to practice their beliefs as they saw fit, because he did not want to force them into Christianity, because he was afraid that that would actually lead to the detriment of the faith. And so he did enforce, you know, what he viewed as justice from the perspective of Christian law and practice and the Mosaic law. But he also allowed for a more what we refer to as a more pluralistic society in the sense of. He wanted the church to be bolstered so that they could have the influence to speak to their neighbors about their faith, but he did not want to force it on them legislatively in that sense of saying, well, you have to kind of be nominally Christian or outwardly Christian, but not really genuinely changed. Now, in the 8th century, uh, later on, when Charlemagne comes into the picture uh, he's a different story. I mean, he's the one who's literally forcing people to be baptized by sword, right by death you're you're mm. You're going to be baptized whether or not it's genuine or not. And so it was this kind of um, totalitarian Christian state almost similar to some of the totalitarian Islamic states that we see uh, in today's uh, world. and so um, which wasn't outside the norm for that day and time. But, I think you know, of course, I'm probably going to get some flack for like bolstering Constantine. But I do think he was a very commendable figure in certain ways, and he struck that balance of trying to you know, do what he could as a political figure in power, to enforce his Christian principles, but also allowing for people to come to genuine faith and repentance because he did not want to enforce that. So I think that is a major difference maybe between someone like what Wolf is saying. Again, I haven't read his material and what I can. Cont- in fact, I would. I would contend more that I'm I'm more of the cultural side of it first, you know, prior to the political, I I believe, and I told the church this on Sunday, I said, listen, it's who we are as God's people, as the church is primary. You know, what you do politically is secondary. And if you get those two things flipped, then it's all going to go wrong because Jesus condemned the Pharisees for having this outward form. Right. But inwardly, they were full of dead man's bones. And so if you have a nation that has maybe some right laws, but who are morally and socially and culturally corrupt, then number one, that's not going to work. But number two, it's it's going to fail ultimately on both sides. And so we talked about how, listen, You know, I I want. I encourage Christians. You have a Christian. If you're uh, have a business, do all you can to influence people for Christ in that business. If you're an artist, be a Christian artist. If you're a musician, be a Christian musician. Because culture is what wags the tail of politics, right? That that is what does it. And then from that basis of we are a changed people, revival precedes reformation, and so you know you have to have. Revival and who we are, and then I do think that you'll see a progressive change within governance and mm-hmm. and politics. But um, I certainly don't agree with any type of kind of forced nominal Christianity. And I think some of that, you know, of course, we could get into the whole discussion of the issues. I think you're you're seeing some hints of the issues with what they would call covenant baptism when it comes to infinite. Uh, you know, Peter baptism, be- because you're essentially wh- what's he what's he admitting about that? He's admitting that you're forcing someone into a covenant that they're not freely accepting. So you know, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of issues with that. I mean, I don't know if that comparison makes sense that I'm making between Constantine and Charlemagne or not, but
0: I think that's incredibly helpful. I think that's exactly. I think that that framework of comparing those two viewpoints of those two different approaches is is incredibly helpful because I think on the one hand where I, I certainly am not a pluralistic person, I appreciate the fact that we live in a pluralistic culture in that I, I'm not advocating for pluralism, not to to say that it's not good that people think that every way is a way to God. That's not That's not at all what any of us would advocate, but I, I love the fact that you and I can have this conversation and we live in a country and we live in a, in a culture where, where the state isn't saying, well, Wes, you're a heretic and so we're going to burn you at the stake. Uh, they're, they're not, the, the state isn't trying to control what religious language and what religious speech is allowed and what's not, um, whereas Wolf is really contending for that kind of a state where the the state even has the authority and the power to determine what's heresy and what's not. In fact, here's a here's a mm-hmm. quote from his book. He says, the Christian prince, that's what he calls the the magistrate that would oversee this idealistic uh Yeah, Christian I need to look movement, into that a little bit Christian more because I've
1: never Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, so he says the Christian prince has the power to call synods in order to resolve doctrinal conflicts and to moderate the proceedings and can confirm or deny their theological judgments. And in confirming them, they become the settled doctrine of the land. But he considers the pastor's doctrinal articulations as a father might look to his medically trained son for medical advice he still re- retains superiority. So in other words, the he, he foresees this Christian leader of this Christian nation the way you know, again in in the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire might have happened, you know, calling together a council of, of pastors that that give the the president or king or Christian prince, all of their insights about what theology is acceptable and what's not, but he ultimately decides what's going to be the national doctrine and what's going mm. to be allowed and what's not, and even having the power to, to punish what is seen as as heretical teaching. Um, so again, w- when he's proposing all of these things, it's like, I, I want to say, hey, all of this has been tried. <laughs> it's not that Christian mm-hmm. nations haven't been tried. We've we've done this for for the last several hundred years we've done this and it always ends with people killing each other. It always ends with not only us killing our non-Christian neighbors, but it ends with Christians killing other Christians, believers killing other believers because you're a heretic, you're a heretic and and when the the pilgrims and the the people came to the Americas seeking religious freedom. They weren't seeking religious freedom from atheists or from, from pagans. They were seeking religious freedom from Christian nationalism. They just wanted a different type of Christian nationalism. And so, you know, the different religious groups that first colonized the Americas were trying to get away from the, the oppression of the, the, the state church where they came from. So going back to all of this seems Incredibly, the wrong direction uh, for for so many different reasons.
1: Well, I think I think that you have, for example, a, f- a few different instances where y- where you can see in Scripture where individuals use their positions of power as a means of helping um, the nation to come under the will of. So, you have, for example, within Jonah you know, you have Jonah going to a pagan nation and telling them to repent. Mm -hmm. You know, God is expecting someone who's not their covenant people to repent and to conform to his truth. Now, the way Assyrians repent is not going to look the same as the way the Israelites repented, right? because they didn't have the covenant law. But there were certain laws that 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 he was God was expecting even the Assyrians to conform to and to to change to. Um, you see that within Daniel when he talks to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter four and he tells him, "Listen, repent of your wickedness. You know, make things right." And God, well, he's not expecting. I don't. I don't think at least he's expecting Nebuchadnezzar to come in Israelite. He's just expecting him to, you know, repent of these, you know, uh, sins that were very uh, obvious that were known to all people. Um, that that he should conform his life to the revelation God had given him. And I think that in those instances, again, how I would put it is if I'm a Christian in in a position of power or influence within my country, whether that comes from voting, whether or not you're a Christian in a position of power, one of our members here is one of our state representatives, you know, and I expect her and I know that she will to use that position of influence to whenever she is able to vote, she's going to do things that are going to conform to the to the will of Christ. Now. I think that you could contend that one of the things that would um, conform to the will of Christ is giving people the freedom to choose Christ. (laughs) I mean, you know, Christ himself did that, you know, so, I mean, that's, that would influence my position of like, I'm not going to do anything that's going to, you know, pressure someone to, to be a Christian. Now, I think that's different than legislating morality in the sense of um, let's, let's take, um, you know, abortion or anything like that. You know, we've, talked about abortion and things of like that. And I know there's a lot of um, contention about the discussion, but, you know, you've seen that within the state of uh, Texas, for example, there has been laws that were influenced by people in positions of power that were Christian minded where now it's illegal, you know, and that has influenced. Um, Martin Luther King said something along and I use this quote at the beginning of my series on uh, the politics. He said something along the lines of, uh, you know, you can't legislate morality in the sense of Um, in the sense of making someone's heart change, you know. He says you can't legislate morality. You laws do not change hearts, but they do restrain the heartless. All right. And so that's what Martin Luther King said. And he was using that quote in relationship to civil rights. He's like, Yes, me changing the laws is not going to make someone not a racist. Okay. That's not going to change someone from being a a racist to not being a racist. But it will prevent them from being racist towards my kids. You know, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna restrain their behavior from harming my family and from harming my neighbor. And out of love for my neighbor, I want those laws to change. You know, and even as a Christian, you know, if I see laws that are hurting my neighbor and I have an opportunity within my own Christian conscience to do something to to bless them and help them in that way, then I want to do that. I think nationalism tempered is a good thing. You know, I, I think that C.S. Lewis kind of talks about this in his book, Before Loves, where he talks about these kind of gradual stages of love. And I think you and I and one other individual who I, I didn't know who he was, but kind of discussed this a little bit yesterday, how, you know, I have a particular um, love for my wife and my kids. I love women and I love other children, but I have a specific responsibility to my wife and my kids and a preference for their company over the company of other women and other kids. And, uh, same with my city and even my state, you know, I love Texas, you know, and there's a certain culture within Texas that I love and that I care for, but I also understand that I do have a responsibility when it comes to other States, you know, um, well, I love my country, you know, I care for my country. I care for its policies. I care for its welfare. Um, the, the American culture is something I'm comfortable with. You know, That's something that I grew up with, so it's comfortable with. At the same time, I think it's within Christian um, teaching to say, if I'm a policymaker, I can make laws that are going to benefit my country, but I also have to be mindful of, are they going to harm other countries and how, to how much to that extent? And you know there's other implications to that. So it's not so much re- a rejection of nationalism but how Christianity impacts that particular philosophy and governs it, right? Because it's not, or at least from my perspective, right? It's it's saying, okay, there's something here that can be good, but if it's taken to one extreme, it can be extremely harmful. And so I have to allow Christ to rule and to reign over my national sentiments. And that's what I think that we Mm -hmm. see within Scripture, right? you know, Galatians three and verse 28, where he talks about there's neither male nor female bond or free. You know, he's not saying you're not a man anymore. You know, as I was telling the church here, I say, when I baptized, that doesn't mean I'm not a man. You know, I, when I come up, I'm an American Christian man. I'm in a particular historical context in a country, but my fidelity to Christ transcends those other bonds. It doesn't eliminate those bonds. Mm-hmm. It doesn't erase those bonds. Just, you know, we've talked about this before. A black man's baptized, he's still a black man when he comes up. He still has all of the history that comes with that and some of the, the struggles and the difficulties that come with that uh, within that. And he's got he, that doesn't erase who he is. Uh, but now all of those things are changed in some way. Christ transcends that without eliminating it, supersedes it without eliminating it. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit yeah. now. I don't know if that's making no, no, sense. No, no,
0: no. You you're exactly right. And I think I think that this is exactly where th- th- and this is why I struggle with pairing these two ideas, Christianity, Christian and nationalism because nationalism tends to be from a political theory standpoint, from a sociological standpoint, nationalism tends to be a movement or an ideology that is very focused on people that are like me and that people that are like me are my sole responsibility and that that I I am going to look out for me in fact I mean wolf spends a lot of time focused on nationalism that Transcends all sorts of flavors of nationalism, and and defining it again, the way that political theorists and sociologists define it, and that is that I this is an in-group that is for the in-group. There's the in-group and the out-group, and we are for the in-group, and and this is why I feel like that idea of nationalism, again, from a, a very you know traditional. Uh, Definition of nationalism and the word Christianity are so antithetical, at least in my mind, to one another. Because, again, I, I think that this idea of self is really helpful. Like, if if we if we say as as Wolf does that that my family is an extension of myself, and that when I love my family, what I'm really doing is loving myself because they are me, and so I'm I'm loving people that are like me because they are me, and by loving my family, I'm loving myself. And and I think that to an extent he's right, but if you apply Christianity to that idea that all people take care of themselves, all people feed themselves, they clothe themselves, and by extension, they clothe their family, they feed their family. The Christian idea is that when we put on the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, that we we consider others more significant than ourselves, and we look out for the interests of others, not just our own interests. So if we apply that to a Christian family, a Christian family is one that not only do they take care of their own interests, but they actually see other families as more significant than themselves and look out for the interests of other families, not just their own interests. And then if you apply that, if, if it was possible for an entire state to be a Christian state, then they would look out for their own interests, but they would also consider others more significant than themselves and look out for their interests, not just their own. And and that is really very antithetical to nationalism, at least from a traditional standpoint. So I see those, it just is very difficult for me to pair Christian and nationalism, because nationalism, Mm -hmm. again, is very me-centric. It's very self-centric and yes we do love ourselves that that's what we do what everybody does we we feed ourselves we clothe ourselves and jesus teaches us to even be even be self selfless and not to be selfish but nationalism as an ideology tends to be very selfish it tends to say it's it my work my product is for my group and your group you look out for your group and my group looks out for my group and 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 that's not entirely fair i mean wolf would would see some need for you know being kind and generous to other people but again when you take nationalism to to its its logical conclusion it 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 tends to see itself in competition with and in tension with other groups. And it nationalis- nationalistic ideas tend to be very defensive. And they say, I, we've got to protect our culture, our way of life, our language, our customs, our unique self from everyone else. So we can't have close associations. In fact, he would even discourage close associations of Christians from different cultures. And he would say, hey, even if you're brothers in Christ, you need to be distinct and separate from one another because you, you belong to different cultures and you need to not influence one another. And so much of this is, is the very opposite of what we see throughout the book of Acts, what we see throughout the book of Galatians, what we see throughout the book of Romans, what Paul's entire ministry was dedicated to, because the Jewish people... Even the diaspora, the dispersed people of the Jewish nation, they were a nationality. Even though they, they, didn't, they weren't all living in their homeland, they were, they were an ethnic group. They were a nation. And Paul was very specific. they They didn't stop being Jews, as you said. They didn't stop celebrating the Passover. They didn't stop keeping the Sabbath. They didn't stop eating kosher foods. They kept their customs and cultures. But he was very specific that they needed to do life with people of other nations. They needed to their church communities needed to be multi-ethnic. They needed to be multinational church communities and and Wolf and again, nationalism as an ideology is against multi-ethnic, multinational coop not I, I shouldn't say cooperation because that may may not be fair, but certainly close associations of multi-ethnic groups, multi um again, I, I know ethnic is is kind of a loaded term in our in our culture, but Taking different groups who have different customs and cultures, he would argue that they need to remain very separate. And that's what most nationalist type of movements claim. And and the gospel teaches us something so different than that. And that is, yes, you do continue to care for your people. You continue to care for your family. You continue to care for your neighborhood. But you also care for, and even consider as more significant than yourselves, the other, the, the foreigner, the stranger, the sojourner, because you yourself are a stranger and an exile. And I think a lot of this comes back to one of yours and my favorite subjects, Jacob, is, is eschatology. And that in a very real sense, the book of Hebrews would claim that that this is not our homeland, that our our homeland, our home city is the new Jerusalem that is to come, the city that is to come. And yes, there there is a sense in which I, I feel a strong attachment to McKinney or Dallas or Texas, but this really isn't my hometown. my hometown is the New Jerusalem, and that city is the city that is to come and the Hebrew writer would say we we don't have a city here we we don't have a city, we have no lasting city. Our city is the one that is to come. so I think that that should shape the way that we we handle this this conversation
1: well, a couple of things I again i I'm I'm really not familiar with I know that's one of your bases that you've been studying a lot. Um I'm not as familiar with Wolf. I I really need to read the book. I'm I'm a little bit more familiar with like Abraham Kuyper. I don't know if you've read any of mm-hmm. Kuyper's stuff. Um no. he was uh he was prime minister in the Netherlands, but he was also he was first a, a theologian and he wrote this just entire body of work that's just recently been translated in the last few years where he he essentially is like listen, you know, we have kind of what I've talked about um we have a responsibility as Christian, as, as, as Christians who are in the Netherlands who are, um, what do you, what do you call the Netherland people? I, it's not, they're not Nether, Nether, Netherlanders. They're, uh, (laughs) I can't think of the terminology we're talking about ethnicities and I can't, but anyways, he's like, you know, we have a responsibility to do what we can as the church to, um, to help govern this state in a way that would honor Christ, and you know, would would foster um, the 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 uh, church and the glory of Christ, and I think he found a good balance uh, in that. That would tend to be more my ideology and and my philosophy. Mm-hmm. I think that. Um, when you're getting into political theory, when it comes from a Christian perspective, there's a whole host of different things that can be talked about. Now, I think, generally speaking, not perfectly, of course, but interestingly enough, American policy has been influenced by some Christian ideals to where we do look out even for the interest of other nations. And, um, you know, we're the most benevolent, one of the most benevolent countries that's ever existed when it comes to, Mm. you know, aiding, um, other countries and i think in many ways the christian ideals have have shaped our values in that way whether we realize it or not even even countries that we went to war with you know afterwards mm-hmm. we went and i mean think of our relationship with japan for example i mean you know japan's one of our closest allies it used to be one of our greatest enemies and that mainly had to do with people operating from the perspective of christian principles who went and helped rebuild it and invested an immense amount of money to healing the country after the devastation that you know, we cause there, unfortunately, because of war, and so I think that it's it's highly complex and too simplistic to say that you know we have to just kind of cut ourselves off from from other cultures. But I do think that inevitably, interestingly enough, you're talking about eschatology. Of course, I know you're aware of this. Interestingly enough, within Revelation, you have the nations bringing their wealth into the new heavens and the new earth. So. That's going to be an interesting discussion as well as like how much of that past identity comes into, you know, the fullness of the new creation. And I think that, it, okay, so and here's another interesting picture, right? The leaves of the tree of life are given for the healing of the nations, you know? Mm-hmm. So the nations do things that glorify God, but they also do things that um, dishonor God and, di- and and bring harm to each other. And we've seen that throughout history. Interestingly enough, we have something going on right now that I think highlights some of the good qualities of nations taking their own interest. And, and maybe maybe because of the baggage that comes with the term nationalism, we need to think of a different terminology. Um, it's difficult, though, because nation is within it, you know, as far as, mm-hmm. again, in contrast to globalism or things like that, because patriotism more has to do with your own fervor for your country, not necessarily a political um, philosophy but so you have the world cup going on right now okay and i was watching this video that this guy did at the world cup and you have all of these flags you know that are together and some of these countries are you know not the best of allies you know Mm -hmm. but what's interesting is when they show the crowds you have all of these different cultures and identities who are you know sharing life together and enjoying life together but they're sitting in their own sections, right? They're cheering on their own countries. They have the interests of their own countries in mind, but they've also find a way to uh, assimilate together and to find common ground and things like that. No, I can't stand soccer, so I'm not watching the actual <laughs> matches, but, but as a good American. It, as a good american yeah, as a good America, it is soccer, by the way, not football, uh, for everybody else listening. So there's a nationalist, uh, <laughs> there's a nationalist statement there for you. Um, but, uh, but, 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 okay. So there you have nations who have individual cultures, um, who, but who have individual interests, but also are finding a way to, and you know, we need to seek peace, right? I, that's a whole nother thing of like, I gave this example, like um, to um, here at Dripping Springs. I said, what if, you know, we were talking about Joseph and Daniel. I said, what if God raised up a Christian peacemaker, a Christian, a literal Christian ambassador to go over to Russia and Ukraine and to help resolve that situation, you know, Okay, if God raised someone up like that, wouldn't we expect them to use their Christian beliefs and faith to influence that situation because they believe that Christ can heal these nations? you know? We would expect that, you know we would we would believe that. And I think that that's kind of an example of where I get to and now interesting, the whole Russian and Ukraine situation is another situation, okay? Russia is invading Ukraine under the tenets of nationalism. well, Ukraine's defending themselves under the banner of nationalism as well, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have that conflict as well. Um, But my point being is that that's more of the ideology that I'm thinking of. God using the nations and using the church. The church saves the souls of men, saves men. The state cannot do that. The state cannot save mankind. I mean, you see that within Caesar, right? Caesar, you know, Tiberius Caesar called himself the son of God. And uh, the people look to the state for salvation, and uh, people still do that today. People look to the state; they look to the government for salvation; they look to the, their nation for salvation. The nation, the state, the government can't save you. Only Christ can, and only the church can. It can all. And 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 if we think that going down and voting um, is going to change the nation, when we're not going to. It's like I told the church here. I said, going out and voting. I think voting's important. I encourage it. I encourage all of you to get out and vote and do what you can to bring these laws in submission to the will of Christ. I said, but that's a lot easier than getting into somebody's home. You know, it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to go out and uh, vote than it is to get into somebody's home, get into somebody's life, invest in them, talk to them about Christ, and turn them over to Christ fully and completely. That's that's something else. And um, you know, so the church is the steward of grace. The state is the steward of justice, and God works within both of those realms. He uses the church to save man. He uses, Paul, my understanding of Romans 13, he uses the the laws as they are to enforce justice. And I guess my point is, wherever Christians are found, Africa, China, wherever, using whatever influence God gives them, and those opportunities are going to be different, to to save the souls of men through the church and to bolster justice through the state, where they can, not armed resistance or forced resistance in any way, but doing what they can to influence that for the cause of Christ. Um, Interestingly enough, you have seen, ironically, because America was, I believe, founded on many Christian principles, but interestingly enough, you have other countries who are putting America to shame as far as submitting their laws, you know, underneath Christian principles. You saw that a few years ago, for example, when President Obama, I forget which uh, African country it was, but President Obama went over to this African country and was essentially trying to kind of force have upon them. Zambia. May, maybe it been. I, I can't remember the exact one, but he was trying to kind of guilt them for not recognizing same-sex marriage. And the president was just like, he wasn't rude about it. He's like, listen, we're we're a Christian people and our nation does not agree with that. I and mean, that's not a priority for us. We're not concerned about that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a shame. Yeah. I mean, not what a shame what a glorious thing, first off, that he was willing to mm-hmm. have the courage to say that. But, you know, what a shame for our own so you have that's the irony, is that you have individuals who, you know, will claim that America is the Christian nation, but you know, China and some other no, well, not China, the underground church of China, but Um, churches, uh, nations within Africa and other places are putting some of their laws into more into the submission to Christ than we are. And so, um, which is, we should rejoice in that. So I'm rejoicing in that. Why? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. yes, that's a different country than what I have, but I'm rejoicing because that means Christ is reigning more fully in that nation. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy for that, Mm -hmm. even though they're not nationally or ethnically tied to me. I rejoice mm. in that. Why? Because yeah. Christ is being glorified, and I think that's the difference between maybe some of my position on things and some o- wolves and some others, maybe. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Jacob, I was I was really hoping we would get into a real heated debate here, but we we just didn't <laughs> seem to disagree on very much. I- <laughs> which I appreciate. Um, I I was going to say before we close, as we wrap up, I I did a a video, I'll I'll link to it in the show notes, but I did a video a couple years ago where uh, I interviewed one of our professors at Oklahoma Christian university and, and he defined politics. He was quoting from someone else, but he defined politics as who gets what, when, and how. And I thought that was really good. But when Mm -hmm. you think about it that way, who gets what, when, and how, and that the, the what, who gets what, I mean, that's a lot of different things. Who who gets to say? Who gets to vote? Who gets to you know whatever? And how how do they get to say? How do they get to do this? How do they get to do that? Who gets these rights? What white rights are people going to get? these questions are incredibly complicated and they're 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 challenging to as you said there's all kinds of political philosophy from all different viewpoints and ideologies and even as brothers and sisters in Christ there's going to be times where we disagree with each other about what's the best way to create a a a common good society that's good for all people that brings glory to Jesus that that helps people to to have the opportunity to hear about Jesus there's going to be times where people in good faith disagree with each other and i would just encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to uh to keep their eyes on Jesus to walk by the spirit uh, to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience as we as we have these conversations with each other and as you've been saying very eloquently uh Jacob that that we have to use whatever we have. If we have a vote, feel free to use your vote for the glory of Christ, for the good of your neighbor, uh, for the good of the world. You know, Use whatever influence we have, whatever resources are at our disposal, leverage that for what is good and what is true and what is right, and, uh, and glorify God in the process. And then you know, love people when when you when you have disagreements over over things and and work together to to come closer and closer to one another in uh, in in what you're thinking and in what we're doing. Well, Jacob, thank well, you so make, much for, for this time. Yeah, yeah. Can
1: I make one final comment? Um, I think Please also see. another aspect of all of this is um, one of the the responsibilities of the church and whatever nation it's found is actually to be the moral conscience of that country. To and this yeah. is where your this is where your loyalty to Christ and I and I talk to the church about this here. I keep referencing this because I just got off of the sermon series, but I, you know, you you ha- when your loyalty to country and Christ collide, what do you do then? Well, we see within the New Testament the responsibility as an American. If there's something going on wrong in America, as an American Christian, I have a unique responsibility to call out that sin. You know, yeah. yes, other con- other Christians in other countries might call it out. But I have that extra weight, that extra burden of doing that. And that's, you know, that's another part of it. It is like there's going to be times where things might be culturally, socially acceptable things within your country that go against the cause of Christ. And in that moment, I choose where my loyalty really lies, you know, because I want to help submit my nation under Christ. And sometimes that means going against my nation for the good of the nation. So that's just a final thought I had.
0: Yeah, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier about if you think of your nation as being an extension of yourself it if, if we're going to if we're going to do what jesus taught taught us we got to take the beam out of our own eye before we start looking for specs in other people so yeah it starts it starts here and and that's i think you're exactly right that's the role that we're called to play in whatever community we find ourselves to be salt and light and to to make a difference and and to do so in the name of jesus so jacob thank you so much for this time together brother
1: thanks for having me on brother
0: Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.